Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Karma You podcast. This is your host, Chloe Brotheridge. I'm a coach, a hypnotherapist, and I'm the author of The Anxiety Solution and Brave New Girl. And this podcast is all about helping you to become your calmest, happiest, and most confident self. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Karma You podcast. This is your host, Chloe Brotheridge. Hope you're doing well today. I get to speak to Tally Rye, who is a delightful personal trainer. She's the author of the new book, Train Happy. And we get into a lot of different topics. She's really um, somebody who has an attitude that the old way of focusing on exercise purely for aesthetics, purely for the way that we look is out of date and isn't really serving us. And so we get into topics such as intuitive movement and what this is and how this can benefit you in your life and change your relationship to exercise. We get into how to motivate yourself to exercise and I know what this is like when you're when you're feeling low, when you're not feeling great about yourself, or you're a bit down, or very down. The thought of dragging yourself off the sofa and out for a run, or lifting some weights, just seems so far from you know something that you want to do. And Tally shares a genius technique for helping us to get into exercise, even if our motivation is really low. We talk about diet culture and how hopefully that is changing and how we can shift our mindset around this. Plus, Tally shares her own experience of having therapy and why you don't need to hit rock bottom before getting therapy yourself. So I'd love to invite you to join me for the Karma You Collective. It is going to be available for the next week and a half or so for you to join for new members. It's a space where you'll be able to connect with people who are on the same path as you, wanting to learn and grow and become a calmer version of themselves. I'm giving support in this membership, monthly coaching, workshops with me and guest mentors, workbooks, sharing circles, a supportive Facebook group. It's for those people that know that being on a journey of becoming a calmer version of yourself is a journey. We don't do one course or read one self-help book and we're fixed and done. We need those continual consistent reminders and support and support from other people to really make a change and sustain a change and continue moving forwards. 
course, inside the membership, there's also going to be a monthly hypnotherapy recording from me on a different topic each month. So if you've enjoyed some of my hypnotherapy recordings in the past, you will know that they're incredibly relaxing, if I do say so myself, and really, really powerful in terms of changing things at a subconscious level so that you just start to notice that you're suddenly speaking up more in meetings and your partner is remarking on the fact that you're smiling more and you're just sleeping better and switching off more easily. And these changes can almost seem like they happen all by themselves, but this is what happens when we work at these things at a subconscious level. And it's an amazing thing to behold and I want you to be part of it. So come on over to karmau.com forward slash collective and join me for the Karma You Collective, which is opening for enrollment right now. And uh, I'd love to see you there. I'd love to get to know you more and welcome you into my arms, <laughs> my digital arms and this calming space that I'm creating on the internet for you. So let's get into the interview with Tally Rye. Welcome, Tally. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm really good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Um, I am excited to speak to you. I, I'm sure people tell you this all the time, but I feel like I know you from, from Instagram, even though we haven't met, but I did come and see you speak. You were on a panel discussion years ago. I don't know how long it went. Maybe it was like four years ago, five years ago. I don't know. Um, but you really... I just remember you sharing your story and being really inspired by you and just quite captivated by your energy. So, yes, yeah, so oh. I've been looking forward to speaking to you. I always felt like we have met. In my mind, we've met at least once. Yes. I'm sure we have, because I feel like, if not, we've certainly been in the same room a few times. I, I feel like we've, like, said hi to yeah. each other, but we haven't actually, yeah. like, had a conversation. Like, it was yeah. a very brief, like, hi, yeah, yeah. So yes. I'm really glad we're getting to have a chat today, too. Um, yeah. And, yes, like, I think... I mean, so much has changed even in the last five years as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, when you said that you've been in a panel discussion, I was like, well, that's certainly not this year. Yeah. Um, no <laughs> no in-person events this year. No, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sure so much has, has changed in terms of your career and what you've been doing. So it would be great to hear a bit about what is it that you do, how do you help people and how has that changed over over the years? So throughout all of that, I've been a personal trainer and I qualified as a personal trainer um, over six years ago now and have been working in London in that capacity since. And fortunately for me, I've been able to do lots of other things as well. So um, alongside personal training, teaching classes, I also have had a social media platform to some degree and that has meant that I've had speaking opportunities. Um, more recently, I've got the opportunity to write a book. So that came out in January. And I do um, have a podcast as well, which is kind of an extension of my book. And, you know, throughout all of that, there's been a huge personal and professional journey and um, transformation, I suppose, in the sense that, you know, starting in the fitness industry, kind of young and naive and bright eyed, um, coming at it with, you know, the best intentions, but with a lot of um, misinformation, really. And so kind of my understanding of what health means of what fitness really is, has changed a lot. And I suppose now I'm, and I, I 
um, kind of an intuitive movement um, personal trainer. And that means that basically I'm encouraging people rather than thinking I'm the expert of people's bodies. I want to encourage people that they are the expert of themselves and that the way they engage in exercise, in movement, I like to call it, um, is always about coming from a place of self-care, respect and love essentially, and not from a place of guilt and shame and feeling the need to drastically change yourself to fit um, you know, a societal beauty or body standard and, you know, really encouraging people to build that trust with themselves so that they can make the best decisions for themselves around movement, around um, the type of movement they enjoy. Because I think, you know, I'm seeing it a lot today, even on social media, like there's so much conflicting advice over like, what's the best workout to do? You know, I should be doing hit working at hit workout. I should be doing cardio. I should be doing weight training. I should be doing Pilates. I should be doing yoga. And in intuitive movement, we say like all those things are valid. Um, it's really about the intention behind why you're doing them. That's important. And, and so I suppose unlike a lot of personal trainers, I'm more interested in why you're doing something rather than the specifics of what you're doing. I think it's more interesting to, you know, discuss like what's the intention behind this choice? Um, and is that intention, like I say, like coming from a place um, of self-care or is it coming from a place of self-punishment? And so that's how I have kind of personally transformed as being that person who did everything to like change my body and and fit a standard to realizing that that was harmful to my mental health it wasn't sustainable um I had a very disordered relationship with food and exercise and kind of recognizing that in the industry around me as well and so wanting to bring this different approach and to fitness so that more people feel included in fitness um and welcome and also are able to make it a sustainable part of their lives so interesting isn't it because it, it seems like this is like a very new thing almost and a lot of us were still really conditioned by the kind of the old the old way I hope it's the mm -hmm. old way and this is going to be the new way that everyone adopts but um the, the kind of the old way of punishing yourself with fitness and it being about um the aesthetics and less about the kind of the mental health benefits and um what 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 do you notice in people that start to make that shift in their thinking so away from away from one way and into that more intuitive movement what's that like for people is that hard to get to get out of that mindset is it like um, a breath of fresh air I'm imagining I think there's there's both of those things are true at the very same time because I think a lot of people find familiarity and comfort in in diet culture essentially and in behaviors that um feel controlling and feel maybe punishing to a degree and i think whilst an intuitive approach i think certainly i really sense and feel and from you know feedback and um and working with people just noticing how much it alleviates the pressure that we feel um you know there's so many shoulds that we feel that we should be doing that it really takes away that kind of that burden and, and pressure but with that um there there is a process of a mindset shift and that can be 
more straightforward for some people than others. And it does take time. It takes a lot of self-compassion to kind of undo a lot of the thoughts and feelings and rules we have around moving our bodies. And so, um, yeah, I think ultimately it's setting people up to have a very um, peaceful and positive relationship with movement. And that's, you know, that's the goal. Um, But like with all things, like with all change comes discomfort and that's a process and that's the thing that each person has to navigate in their own way and you know depending on where your starting point is depends on where your kind of end point is really so it's different for everyone but ultimately the goal is to to just feel good and so I I do something on my podcast where I and I talk about on social media as well called like train happy moments and this is very much a moment of like a win in that process. Like, you know, moments when you're like, oh, I was on a run today and, you know, I was noticed I was really um, just stressed about my, the time on my watch, you know, telling me that like, oh, I hadn't done enough. And but actually I really just wanted to enjoy my surroundings. So I decided to switch off my watch and just run and enjoy the outdoors, say, as an example. Mm-hmm. And you know, lots of people say like, that's one of the best runs I've done in a long time because I wasn't so focused on these external factors. I was really focusing on how I feel. And that's the crux of intuitive movement is, you know, we're trying to dial down the noise of like all these external influences and really kind of um, turn up the volume on, on how you feel about what you're doing and how it how it feels to be in the moment in your body when you're um, you know on your run or in your yoga class or um, you know dancing in your kitchen like how does it feel to be in your body and I think with that comes a great appreciation of yourself of you know what your body can do and that's so important as well. Mm, I love that, that that idea of focusing on how it feels you know we we have been taught that how things look is the most important thing but actually that's just so not important and actually doesn't give us any satisfaction really and actually causes suffering and we we're so many of us myself included at times can be so disconnected from the body just mm. thinking overthinking not even really noticing how we're feeling sometimes, I think. And I love the idea of just coming back and tuning in and doing something that feels really good. Um, One of the things that really struck me in uh, a discussion I had with um, a a therapist actually, and she explained it really well. And I think that disconnection is really interesting how we think mental health is literally from the neck up and we don't realize how much of our mental health lives in our body and lives in, is there a physicality to it? And the way she described it was obviously feelings are called feelings for a reason because you're meant to physically feel them and your energy, um, your emotion, sorry, is energy in motion. And that is in motion in your body. And by being able to physically connect with your body, um, I think that's where we have greater capacity to process those feelings and emotions, those difficult feelings and emotions um, that a lot of us use exercise to kind of very figuratively and literally run away from. Um, And that learning to be present in your body, I think um, 
it's tough for different reasons, you know, varying on people's experiences with trauma um, and physical trauma, but, you know, when done safely and appropriately, being able to just have that connection with your body is a really important aspect and a really like that emotional, you know, part of movement is, is just as important. Um, I was listening to a podcast recently. I think it was a um, Brené Brown interview with people who are talking about burnout and this idea that we never complete the stress cycle and that the stress kind of ends up getting stuck in our bodies can be stuck in different ways and there's various different ways of completing the stress cycle so we get to like release it and one of the ways was movement other ways were like art and um, performance and all those sorts of things but I found it really interesting how much we need to physicalize it you know like as you say like acknowledge what's going on in our bodies and um, movement is a great way to help process that and deal with that totally yeah I think it's so interesting I'm seeing such a trend towards like therapists talking about somatic therapies and Mm. um, things that involve the body whether it's breath work whether it's shaking whether it's um, yeah really feeling your feelings and um, having that as a practice and yeah, move, moving our bodies is kind of another way of, as you say, moving that energy that so often doesn't get moved. It just gets stuck. And then we wonder why we have all these sort of, um, all this anxiety or that even physical manifestations of stress, like not being able to sleep or having digestive issues. Um, yeah, it's, it's such an interesting area. Um, I wanted to ask you about um kind of the motivation side of this and um because I suppose I know from you know lots of people that I speak to if we're if we're not feeling good if we're processing trauma or we're depressed or experiencing low mood it's like the the our motivation can be on the floor our energy can seem like it's on mm-hmm. the floor and that the idea of exercise might be a really nice idea but actually it seems like so impossible to do how do you help people to sort of get around that? Or what do you suggest for people that are, are sort of struggling with the motivation side of it? Well, firstly, yeah, acknowledging that, um, yeah, exercise can feel like a really great idea, but it also can feel completely impossible for those who are not in that headspace. Um, and I think like sometimes like that's okay, but also to say that how can we, put things in place that mean that when you are really struggling with that motivation that you can you know find your way back to to moving Um, because we do know it has so many benefits for our physical and mental well-being so I like to talk about things called extrinsic and intrinsic motivating factors and as I mentioned before the external reasons those extrinsic reasons to you are the norm in current you know the current norm in motivation so that will be things like you know shedding for the wedding looking good on holiday and a bikini like feeling like we're working out to leading up to some sort of event or you know feeling a pressure from society to maintain a certain body shape or aesthetic um the i you know whether it's to 
fit in with what your friends are doing. All those reasons are are because of other things outside of you that you feel that you should conform to. Um, and those things will motivate us for a bit. And then as we know, generally there's such an ebb and flow with that motivation because once the event's over, once the holiday's been, you know, then what, what's the point? You know, the thing with exercise is that for a long time, it's always been pitched as people only work out to do, you know, like three things, lose weight, maintain weight, um, or like build a, a sort of physique, so to speak. And that exercise is just a tool in that dieting process and just one way to manipulate an aesthetic. However, what exercise is so great for and is so beneficial for um, are an abundance of reasons to include, you know, improving our mental, you know, capacity, our clarity of thought, um, our memory. It helps with, um, physically it helps, you know, reduce things like um, osteoporosis as we get older, um, you know, improves our uh, heart and lung function, reduces risks of certain cancers, reduces risks of things like Alzheimer's and dementia things that are totally unsexy and unfortunately um the fitness industry at large doesn't feel that they can make a load of money by marketing those benefits however those are the real benefits of exercise so we need to think about those so i really like to encourage people to understand the benefits of exercise so in my book i write about this i actually have like a table of benefits and i say you know there's the two benefits of like weight loss and aesthetics versus the like almost 30 benefits I've listed here of moving your body. Um, unfortunately, we only hear about two of them. And did you know you can enjoy these benefits without, uh, without weight loss having to occur without, you know, without having to have a, dr a drastic before and after photo. That's not, that's not a prerequisite to enjoying the benefits of regularly moving your body. So, to develop intrinsic motivation, I really like people to kind of study those, those benefits, but also really, like I said, focus on how um, movement feels for the individual. So how does, um, how do you notice your mood improving? You know, um, how do you feel before? How do you feel during? And how do you feel after? A really great kind of prompts to think about. So if you're a journaler and I recommend journaling, I think it's fantastic as a great way to kind of start thinking about this. I, I really recommend people to start writing lists of why they move their bodies and how does it make them feel? You know, so whether it's like, I really notice I'm more productive in the day. If I exercise, I really notice that I feel calmer, my mental health is, um, feels my mood's improved, you know, I feel more energized, you know, whatever the list may be, is to really start thinking about those things. So that when you are in those low moments of like, oh, why am I, you know, like this is exercise was like the hardest thing to do right now, is to go back, open that book, look at that list and go like, okay. So these are the things I need to do, but not the do, sorry. These are the things, this is how exercise makes me feel. And maybe I could try and do something to do this. And so this is where I really recommend, I kind of have a little um, tip for people who are like, am I being lazy? Like, am I just like, you know, 
just procrastinating or am I genuinely needing to rest and is my body like needing to you know to be still and to um relax today that's a big one actually isn't it that's yeah a, that's a big one I think um but it's but yeah. it's also like not it's not too hard to figure out I always say like put your workout stuff on and depending on your choice of exercise like can you tell yourself you have absolute unconditional permission to stop whenever you want to you know so you can do five minutes and if you're really not feeling it you're allowed to you know if you've left your house to go on a run and you've like got down the other end of the road and you're like no not today then you have every entitlement to go back to your sofa if that's what you want to do but also um you may find that that first five minutes, even that 10, that 10 minutes, I, generally 10 minutes, I think is a good threshold. You're kind of like, okay, I just needed to get going. You know, I actually, I've got going now. I'm going to use this momentum. And throughout this, I'm going to listen to my body and say the example of a run again, say you get 10 minutes in and you're like, okay, I'm really glad I'm outside. I don't know if I'm up for a super fast run today, but I could do like a bit more of a, a jog slash walk and you know I'm getting outside so a lot of this intuitive approach is about um being flexible and it's not an all or nothing thing like you know those extrinsic motivated motivators are generally like all or nothing you're either all in and you have to change the way you eat and you have to work out you know x amount of times a week or not at all because that feels exhausting and just too much to take on um so it's about trying to yeah get people to find you know ways that work for them and flexible ways that work for them so that they can engage in exercise and movement and um and start feeling good yes I think that's absolutely genius I was thinking how do people how do people get around this but that's such a simple thing to try to actually put on your gym kit or your whatever your leggings and just go out for five minutes or do something for a short amount of time and then see how you feel. And actually, um, I love that way of kind of tuning in and, get, and getting more of a sense once you've overcome that kind of barrier and you're out there and doing it, then you can really know, actually, you know, what am I tired today? Or, or is it actually not as bad as I thought it was going to be? And I could go for a run now. So I think that's going to be really helpful for people. Um, so my next question, which again is like the next kind of another kind of aspect of this, which I know you, you talk about, um, and it's diet culture and how this kind of plays into to things. And probably most people listening are going to have heard the term diet culture before, but can you just explain what that is for people that maybe haven't kind of heard it described in that way before? So diet culture is a kind of system of beliefs and values that holds preference to smaller bodies and, and what we call thin bodies. But I think we often think of thin bodies in the sense of um, like model thin bodies. Um, but, you know, it, it's a, the kind of belief that we should always be pursuing, if not maintaining thinness and a, a smaller version of ourselves um, and at the expense of kind of stigmatizing those in larger bodies and people who um, are plus size. And, you know, diet culture shows up in many different ways. So whether we think of that through, you know, 
diets themselves, dieting clubs and um, different forms of restricting our food intake or through exercise in the sense of um, the idea that, you know, that workout for your bingo wings means that um, we sit, if I, if, if a workout was marketed as, you know, how to get rid of your bingo wings, we could talk about that being rooted in diet culture because it's suggesting that your body is not good enough as it is. And if you do this workout or if you eat a certain way or drink this, you know, shake, then you can achieve that beauty and body ideal that diet culture upholds. So it's an extension of our beauty standards, really. And it's something that is the norm, I suppose. It's the norm. I kind of like to think of diet culture is like the sea that we swim in. If you think particularly for women, how many pressures we feel to, you know, look a certain way, to have a certain body shape and how those trends change, um, that is largely influenced by a, a wider culture that, um, you know, benefits from that narrative and the way that they benefit from it is obviously financially and so um, I think it's in the U.S. at the moment the diet industry in the U.S. alone I think is like a 72 billion dollar industry and you know a lot of um, what diet coach is is profiting off of insecurity of vulnerable people who feel that they will only be worthy, lovable, acceptable, successful, happy when they achieve this beauty and body ideal. And so, you know, this sets people up on this constant pursuit and pressure. And in turn, that can, you know, its negative side effects include, you know, having poor body image, body dissatisfaction, low self-esteem, um, disordered eating, eating disorders, um, and, you know, a range of, um, show up in a range of kind of um, mental health um, capacities, really, whether that influences our like anxiety and um, those sorts of things. So yeah, it's, it's a big one. And there's kind of a few different facets to it in terms of what it is, how it operates. Um, but the one thing it's important to know is that it's quite sneaky. And so even if, a diet might not obviously be a diet. So we, I think it's quite obvious that like detox teas, meal replacement shakes, you know, even, you know, like the waste things that people wear, you know, the corset things that people wear, right. those are products of diet culture, right? That's really, really obvious. But then there are people who are like, oh, it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle. But the outcome of the, of engaging in said lifestyle is to have a before and after photo or to have a thing you know to have a smaller body lighter body then that is um a manifestation of diet culture and i don't want people listening to think like okay well i've done a diet i've done these things like we're not bad people for wanting to do those things we're not bad people for wanting to engage in that because like i said it's the norm and it's it's very socially acceptable however i think um like i say it's having such a big impact on how we view ourselves and how we view other people and how we relate to food exercise and our bodies that um I just think there's so much freedom in stepping away from that and and when you let go of that pressure and and the need to you know constantly be on this you know 
dieting cycle to constantly be thinking about, you know, how, what do I look like? How much do I weigh? There's just so much mental headspace freedom to be gained. And I always say, you know, I've been so deep in diet culture and all I ever thought about was like, what am I eating next? Have I exercised? What does my body look like? I couldn't walk past a mirror without body checking. And now with all that time and headspace and energy, I was able to write a book. Like, you know, I would never have been able to do that before. I just didn't have the capacity because I was so consumed with, you know, with those things that I wasn't able to, to actually, I, I feel like achieve my potential. And I think, particularly for women, one, you know, a big thing that's holding us back from, you know, achieving so many things from fulfilling potentials from really like realizing what we're truly capable of is this idea that, you know, we are not good enough or worthy enough of pursuing that thing until we're thin enough. And I think that's a really huge barrier. Um, I'm going to massively <laughs> paraphrase a quote by Naomi Wolf, who's like a famous feminist writer. And she says, um, dieting is one of the biggest political sedatives. And in fact, if you give me a second, I have this quote in my book and I will, I have oh, it Oh, great, yeah. And yeah. I will read it because it, I think it kind of shows how, oh yeah, this is it. A culture fixated on female thinness is not an obsession about female beauty, but an obsession about female obedience. Dieting is the most potent political sedative in women's history. A quietly mad population is a tractable one. And I really think that is one of the be better definitions um, mm, and explains mm -hmm. how much this not only impacts us as in, as individuals, but also collectively that, you know, um, we're not stepping into our full power whilst in diet culture. Gosh, yeah, that really hit me, actually. I took like a deep breath when you read that. And it made me, yeah, as you said, it really made me uh, think about all the time and energy that we waste. And there's a load of stats. I think it's something like only 20% of UK women are happy with their bodies, that um, like a large proportion, something like 85%, other people may know more than this, but I remember um, reading this, 85% of women have missed out on social events because of worrying about the way they look and also make me think about the like when they first kind of invented advertising in the 50s the mad the mad men suddenly like realize oh if we make women feel bad about themselves we can make loads of money and you know diets don't work so it's almost like your this industry is like profiting from failing and keeping the money you know no wonder it's a massive mass you know billions billion dollar industry but um yeah thank you for explaining that it's such a deep topic and I hope things are changing do you think things are changing or is it like in the in the little bubble of people that talk about these things it's changing and like most of the world doesn't doesn't even realize this yet well I think that is that is um thanks to social media actually a positive of social media is that more people are hearing about this you know, this is how I discovered what diet culture was. This is how I discovered um, a kind of non-diet approach to kind of health and fitness. And without the work already being there, whether, you know, with people who have written books and make podcasts and things, but I think without being able to share it through social media, I think that's been a really powerful tool in, in more people getting on board with this. And 
you know, there is a really big community online of dietitians and nutritionists and therapists and personal trainers like myself who share this ethos and share this approach. Um, it still is not the mainstream because like I said, the mainstream um, benefits from it not being mainstream because they may set, be set to, you know, lose money in the long term if people mm. decided to accept themselves. I think I remember seeing another quote, which I don't know who it's from, but it was like, imagine how much um, money companies would lose if women just turned around one day and just decided to accept themselves as they are and just decided they were enough. Like we wouldn't have to buy so many like creams and products and, you know, so many different things. Um, so a lot of people gain to benefit from us not, you know, liking ourselves and not accepting ourselves. So in that sense no a lot of the mainstream aren't necessarily on board however i've noticed that i've been given some amazing opportunities to discuss this on whether it be podcasts or with certain um journalists and you know recently i was just featured in a list of kind of um trainers who um some share this approach some don't but in a list of trainers on like glamour magazine and you know those sorts of things where i feel that because a lot of women in particular are like, yeah, I've been there. I've struggled with food. I've struggled with my body image and I'm over, like I'm fed up. I'm exhausted to know that there's a different way is really exciting. And I think liberating. So I do think that people want this to be more mainstream. And I think there's such a huge appetite for this. So I do feel that it will only get bigger, but there's going to be a lot of people who push up a lot of resistance against that. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see. I hope things are going to move <laughs> in the right direction. I really do. I'm positive um, and hopeful. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good. Um, I wanted to ask you a bit more about you, if that's okay. Um, yeah. I know that you've talked about your own experience with therapy. And mm. I've heard from people that listen to this podcast, they find it really helpful to hear people's experience of therapy. Things like even how did you choose your therapist or... Um, you know, what has your experience been? Were you nervous to sort of start that journey? It'd be great if you could share a bit about that. Um, that's so, okay. Yeah, so it's really interesting. I decided to go to therapy about over a year ago now, about 18 months ago. And I went there being like, do you know what? I think I'm actually pretty good. I don't have any immediate crisis in my life. I knew that I had um, lost my dad as a teenager. And I knew that I had never had a had never had therapy for that. And I felt like I'd been coping pretty well. Um, my past with disordered eating may disagree, but I felt like I was like, you know what? I'm actually pretty good. I think I've got my life together. I'm, and I feel like, you know, I was really interested in therapy and I always saw the benefits of it. And I saw everyone talking about it. And I was like, I want in, I, I want in on this. I want to, I want to do this. Um, like I said, thinking that I was pretty okay. <laughs> um, but as you know, I think therapy um, does help you kind of dig deeper into those things and realize that um, it slightly lifts the lid a little bit, like it does lift the lid. Um, and, you know, I think the biggest misconception is that you have to be going in the middle, you know, of a crisis. You have to be at your lowest point to get therapy. And that was completely not the case for me. Um, and actually, I think because I went and chose to go when I felt more ready to, um, 
I have been able to process a lot of things that I have been trying to avoid for a very long time. And so I found my therapist through asking another friend who's a therapist who they recommend. So I don't know if that's everyone's option, but I do know that if you have friends or you do know someone who works in the mental health field, like who they recommend or what, even what type of therapy to kind of look into is a really helpful starting point. Um, and I have been doing that up until recently, actually, um, <laughs> it's a long story, but my therapist, um, unfortunately had to stop doing therapy with me. So I am kind of just in the middle of a little break at the moment, however, and just seeing how it goes, but I do consider therapy as something I will always do and, you know, have some sort of therapeutic relationship, um, to kind of help me through my life because I don't think, you know, it's like six weeks and you're done. I, you know, had been consistently in therapy for a year. Um, I'm having this slightly unexpected break, but I see that all through all the different like seasons of life and through the different phases and stuff comes up. And, and whilst I, I had been doing psychodynamic therapy, but you know, whilst I've been looking back on my past and my childhood and, you know, all the things that have kind of led up to now, I also certainly went in with things that were happening in the very present moment and being like, I, I have to say the one thing I miss about not having my weekly therapy sessions at the moment is just not having the full space to just for me, if that makes sense. Um, and, you know, when I'm talking to other people about therapy who may not, like I said, may not think of themselves as like, you know, I don't strongly suffer with anxiety or like, I, I really think every single person can benefit from having space to just vent and rant and like get all those thoughts that are swirling around your head out. Because even if you don't think that you you have a, a quote problem, there's so much to be gained from being able to just offload mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, you know, talk about things and how important that is, um, you know, for whether, you know, for along the whole spectrum of kind of mental health, I think it's so important that we normalize that talking about our feelings and emotions and talking about, you know, all these different things. I mean, I wonder, Chloe, if you find this with your clients and with people, like, it's so common to not have a vocabulary to, to fully explain how you feel. Mm -hmm. And actually, it's a real learning process to be able to actually articulate what you're feeling specifically beyond angry or sad or happy um yeah. and that there's actually like a lot of nuance there and that's something I'm still learning and want to get better at um but being able to explain how I'm feeling and why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling has been huge in transforming my personal relationships in transforming you know friendships my my relationship with my partner my you know with my family um, because I'm able to, you know, communicate better. And I think that's been a huge tool for me to understand myself better and therefore be able to explain myself better. Yeah, that's so powerful. I think I love that you, you kind of engage in that process, not when you were kind of rock bottom, but actually just the curiosity of that experience. And I think there is something so helpful about unpacking stuff at a point where we're not in a crisis, because if we're in a crisis, that stuff that we may have been not dealing with or not really looked at or thought about can sometimes like 
explode all over the place, you know, in those times, mm. because, you know, the feelings have to go somewhere, the stuff has to get dealt with at some point. Um, and um, yeah, I think you're so right about the, the vocabulary of how we're feeling. I think so many of us have grown up in families where maybe people don't talk about their feelings or, you know, things get swept under the rug and not spoken about and you never learn actually, this is how to, to process something or this is how to raise an issue or this is a healthy kind of way of relating to your own feelings. So yeah, it's great that you've, you know, been able to, to sort of discover that. and. Um, definitely still a work in progress for me as well and I think we're all going to be on that journey of understanding ourselves and learning about ourselves and yeah I really hope um, people listening if they've been you know thinking about oh maybe I'd like to explore this that this might give them a little nudge in that direction that you know now could be a great time to address things and kind of get to know yourself more. Definitely and like you said um I think sometimes you have to maybe feel a bit ready, but also um, and open to it. I think one of the things I really told myself was like, if I'm going to spend the money on this therapy and not every, you know, there's different price ranges of therapy, but for me, it was a big financial investment. And I felt like, okay, if I'm willing to pay, you know, I, the way I see it is like, you're willing to pay for a personal trainer every week. You're willing to pay to go to classes. This is the same thing. This is just as, if not more important for your health and well-being to invest in your mental health in some way, you know, whether it is a therapist or whether it is, um, there's so many great online courses now, you know, there's so many different resources you can do, whether it's a, you know, a workbook, a journal, something that you can, can do because we should be treating our mental health the same way that we treat our physical health with just as much importance and just as much, you know, significance. So I saw it as that, and it was an investment and I wanted to do it. And, um, I kind of told myself like, you know, I want to try and go all in, in this process <laughs> and yeah. just go for it as much as I could. Um, and you know, which is scary, but also um, I feel that I've been able to get a lot of value from it and, and make progress because I've just went in there like, you know, I'm open-minded, but I also think it's because I was like ready. Mm, yeah. And I think that's yeah. a very individual experience for people to, to decide whether they're totally ready to like let go of maybe old behaviors and things. Um, and yeah, so able to like do that deeper work, but it's so worth it. It's so worth it. I can't recommend it highly enough. Mm. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for coming to speaking to me. And um, can you share a little bit about your book where people can find out more about you anything else that you're doing at the moment? Yeah, so you can find me on social media um, at Tally Rye. And then my book, Train Happy, um, is available at all good bookstores. And then I have my podcast, The Train Happy Podcast, where we talk more about intuitive movement, what that means. And we talk about it from, uh, you know, from the exercise perspective, from the emotional perspective, from the body image piece, the, the food bit, you know, we try and like cover all those bases because, um, you know, this is part of like that greater conversation of kind of like 
healing a lot of those things. So we're starting to, you know, accept ourselves and find that peace. So um, you can find the podcast there as well on Apple, Spotify, all the, all the platforms. I'm sure your listeners are aware of those. Um, and you can keep up to date on with my newsletter on my website, which is tallyrye.co.uk. Brilliant. Thank you so much for speaking to me. It's been an absolute pleasure, Chloe. Thank you so much. You have been listening to the Karma You podcast with me, Chloe Brotheridge. Don't forget, you can download loads of freebies for anxiety and confidence at my website, karmayou.com. You can also find out about my app and my one-on-one sessions. Please do subscribe to this podcast in the Apple Podcast app. And if you have enjoyed it or found it helpful, please leave me a review. It makes a massive difference to helping the podcast get discovered by other people. And come on over and find me on Instagram. I'm hanging out there every day. You can find me at Chloe Brotheridge. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And please do share it with anyone who might need to hear this today. So I'm sending you loads of love and I hope you have a brilliant week ahead. 